0: Well, this morning we come to the last in our current mini-series on the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. It's been called Looking for a Leader. And this morning we come to look at 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 2 to 17. Uh, And I'm now going to ask um, Chloe um, if she could come up and read a passage for us. Thanks, Chloe. Today's
1: reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 2 to 17. The ark remained at Kiriath-Jeriorim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah and I'll intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted and they were confessed and they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord funded with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were rooted before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit, from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places, but he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord.
0: Great. Many thanks, Chloe. So, one of the um, songs that we were singing uh, earlier on was a hymn, uh, of which the opening line is, Come the font of Every Blessing. And one of the things that I discovered um, for the uh, first time this last week was that this hymn was written by somebody called Robert Robinson. Um, You can see a picture of him there on the screen. That is uh, Robert Robinson. And Robert Robinson was actually a Baptist minister in Cambridge in England. uh, Except he wasn't pastor of Eden Baptist Church, which is the church where I'm going, but rather St. Andrew's Street Baptist Church, uh, which you can also see there uh, on the screen, which is uh, relatively uh, nearby uh, for those of you who know Cambridge. And uh, interestingly, Robert Robinson wrote this hymn when he was just 22 y- years old. I'm um, not sure what I was doing when I was 22 years old, but it wasn't anything nearly as important or as significant as what he was um, in, you know, doing when he wrote this uh, wonderful hymn. However, one of the lines in that hymn that uh, often puzzles people is the start of verse 2. So he wrote, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. And of course, many people ask, well, what on earth is an e- Ebenezer. In fact, I had someone a little while back say to me, Why do you guys sing so many old hymns at Ambassador, especially with words that we never hear and we don't understand? And he actually used this particular hymn as sort of a, a, a exhibit A. Uh, what on earth does the word uh, Ebenezer mean? Uh, what is this strange thing called an Ebenezer that we are meant to be um, raising up? And of course, that is a great question. Well, I hope you would have picked up by now that the answer is found in our passage this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12 where we see that an ebenezer is a stone which Samuel raised up. God had just given the people a great victory over the Philistines. And then we read that Samuel marks the spot with a stone saying, thus far has the Lord helped us. uh, Hither Uh, Hither by thy help I've come. Uh, Here I raise my Ebenezer, um, as the hymn says. Uh, There are two possible meanings of this. Uh, One is that it's talking about a place. So it's basically saying sort of up until this geographical location, the Lord has helped us. Uh, The other is that it's uh, speaking more chronologically. So it's talking about time. So up until this particular point in time, the Lord has helped us. Uh, And of course, uh, it probably means both. As many of you will know, this is my last sermon here at Ambassador, and so I thought this was an appropriate text for us to end on because I think there's lots of ways that we can say as a church and also hopefully as individuals uh, thus far has the Lord helped us. And so I'd like us to try and imagine this morning that we're an ancient Israelite in about 1,000 BC. And we are looking at this memorial stone, uh, this Ebenezer. Uh, What does it remind us of? Um, What is it calling us to remember uh, here in context? And I think we can see a number of things that hopefully we can learn from as well. And uh, the uh, first of them is a defeat. And this is a little bit of a um, strange one to be starting off with because, of course, none of us uh, likes to remember defeats. Uh, But those of you who have good memories here may remember that we've actually encountered the word Ebenezer in 1 Samuel before. It's actually last week uh, when we looked at the defeat of the Israelites at the start of chapter 4. And so chapter 4, verse 1, says that the Israelites were camped, that Ebenezer and the uh, Philistines were camped at a place called Aphek. Uh, this is not the same Ebenezer as the place where the stone was, but the name is exactly the same, and so I think we're we meant to make the connection Ebenezer means, thus far has the Lord helped us. And, but of course, in chapter 4, I think that's meant to be more ironic. Uh, the people presumed that God would help them, but of course, He didn't and they ended up getting defeated by their enemies as a result. you remember that they didn't see God, they didn't ask for God's help, uh, but they decided to bring out the Ark of the Covenant as a sort of a lucky charm uh, and the result for them was an unmitigated disaster. Uh, they were defeated, lots of them were killed and of course the Ark was captured and was um, taken off by the Philistines. And all of this, we saw, was God's discipline uh, on his people who had departed from his ways. Why had this happened? Uh, Well, I think we can see two reasons. One was apostate leadership. So remember that this has been a, a consistent theme as we've been looking at the book of 1 Samuel, that the religious leadership of the nation has been corrupt and therefore God's anger has been aroused against it. Uh, the high priest, Eli, you remember, was uh, useless and ineffective. His two sons, Hophni and uh, Phineas, are both reprobates. Uh, they abu- abuse people. They don't honor God. And the real um, low point, you remember, came in chapter 2, verse 17, where we read that they were treating the Lord's offerings with contempt. And so one problem that the nation had was apostate leadership. Uh, Which led to a much greater problem among them, which was that the people abandoned God in favor of idols. Uh, So we discover this in chapter 7 and verse 3 to 4, where we see that the people were mired in idolatry. So there in verse 3 of the reading that we just had, when Samuel calls the people to put away their idols, he mentions the idols of Ashtoreth, who is a sort of female fertility goddess and also a god called Baal, um, who was the storm god and the uh, male fertility god. He was meant to be sort of Ashtoreth's husband, basically. And so this was really a sort of classic problem for God's people. Uh, They'd abandoned God under apostate leadership and they'd started adopting the values and the customs of the peoples around them and uh, it led to their defeat. It's unusual, of course, to want to remember our defeats. Uh, Today is... uh, election day uh, in the district council elections here in Hong Kong, and of course no political party on the planet uh, wants to remember being defeated, do they? It would be impossible to think of a sports team or a country, for instance, that would erect a monument um, to their defeats. Uh, That was just something that uh, wouldn't ever happen. But you know, if we're Christians it can sometimes be helpful to be reminded of our defeats, what we were like without God and uh, how much we need him and what he has done for us. And the Bible is clear that we share some similarities with the Israelites here. We too, like them, find ourselves naturally mired in sin and idolatry and abandoning God. Not idols of wood and stone, of course, but rather idols that live in each of our hearts. Idols of self, idols of uh, selfishness, uh, worshipping ourselves, uh, cultural idols like uh, reputation or success or security maybe that we devote our time and worship to. Um, Someone has said that whatever it is that you want for your kids, that is probably an idol for you. Um, Someone else has said that it's the three T's, so time, talents, and treasure. Um, What do you spend your extra time on? Uh, What do you spend your talents on? What do you spend your treasure on? Maybe that is an idol for you. Um, If you've been a Christian for a little while, you'll probably already have a fairly good idea of what your idols are. For me, I'm tempted by comfort. I'm tempted by a desire to reduce anxiety in my life by controlling things. Uh, I'm tempted by a desire for a good reputation. And those are the things that I'm tempted to live for rather than living for God. And you will probably know uh, what are the idols that you are tempted to live for um, in your heart as well. Often it is the defeats in life that help to reveal our idols. It's that moment when we feel defeated That moment when we feel completely down, that time when things really go against us, when the bottom really drops out of our lives, it's at at times like those that actually our idols are often revealed. You see, God uses our defeats as his loving discipline in our lives to show us where our idols are and to lead us to seek him. And so that's really the first application for us this morning. Maybe if you are here and you're experiencing uh, some kind of defeat, some kind of difficulty at the, the moment, the question that you need to be asking is not just, well, how can I escape um, from this as quick as I possibly can, but rather the question that Israel's leaders were actually asking back at the beginning of chapter 4. Why has the Lord brought this about what does God want me to learn from what I'm going through at the moment? You see, God is incredibly gracious and kind to us. Um, Suffering in your life is never pointless. Rather, God often uses it to expose our idols and to set us on a course that leads to a deeper relationship with him. It's what we see with Israel here, and it's also what we see uh, often in our own lives as well. And so we see that this stone of remembrance would have reminded God's people of a defeat. But then we also see that it would have reminded them of a return, um, which brings us to chapter 7 and verse 2. So you remember um, last week we saw that the uh, Philistines captured the ark and they went on this sort of grand tour of the uh, Philistine towns before they eventually returned it to Israel. And at the end of last week, we saw that the Israelites were now keeping it at the house of somebody called uh, Binadab in a place called kiriath Jeraim. And uh, then we read in verse 2, the ark remained at kiriath Jeraim a long time, 20 years in all And then we read these marvelous words. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. This is really meant to be the high point uh, of the story of 1 Samuel so far. For the last 20 years or more, actually, if you include the uh, high priesthood of uh, Eli, uh, for the last 20 years or more, the people have been ignoring God. I think the implication is that the ark has just been gathering dust there in kiriath Jeraim. And they've been worshipping idols, and they've been rebelling against God. But now it seems as if the spiritual climate of the people has finally changed. And so we read all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. And then the next few uh, verses tell us what it means to return to the Lord. So in verse um, 3 and 4, Samuel says to the people, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the uh, foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And then we read, So the Israelites put away their baals and Ashtarists and served the Lord only. So then what does it mean to return to the Lord? Well, it means turning from your idols. Uh, what the Bible calls repentance. And it means committing yourself to the Lord and serving him only, what the Bible would call the fruits of repentance. And then the result of all this is that we will be rescued or we will be saved. It says the Lord will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. I think it's worth a brief note here just to say that Samuel seems to be very concerned that the people's repentance is genuine. I wonder if you... Notice that here. Uh, It seems that he really wants to make sure that they're not just talking about returning to God with their lips, but they actually do something practical and it works out in their lives as well. He calls on them to do the very difficult thing of actually putting their older gods, the things they used to actually live for, their idols away and uh, living for the Lord alone. You see, repentance is only genuine uh, if it actually has um, concrete results. And then um, Samuel is confident that if the people do all this, then they will know the Lord's salvation and deliverance. Uh, They'll know his rescue. He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. And so you can hopefully see by now that this is a really good Old Testament um, summary of the gospel, if you like. It's a good explanation of the gospel. There's lots of times in the Bible where God's people get things spectacularly wrong, but this is one occasion where God's people actually get things spectacularly right. They return to God... They repent, they put away their idols, and they commit to serving the Lord God only. It's meant to be a wonderful, wonderful moment in the history of Israel. If you're someone who's doing these things regularly, then, that, then there's a great encouragement for you here from Israel's example. God wants us to be people who regularly repent, who regularly return to him, and who serve him only. Uh, It's really interesting, actually, there's a very close parallel to this particular passage in how the New Testament uh, speaks about the experience of Christians over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 and 10. So uh, when Paul writes to the uh, Christians in Thessalonica, uh, he says these words, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God, from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Isn't it interesting how incredibly like 1 Samuel chapter 7 uh, that is? In uh, heaven, maybe, I will have the opportunity to ask Paul if he'd been reading uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7 for his quiet times um, that morning. It seems to be exactly the same as uh, what we read here. They turn from idols... To serve the true and living God, and now they are trusting in God's promises that Jesus will rescue them from the judgment to come. And so, all all of this is really a great definition of what a Christian is. Occasionally, people will come to me and they will say things like, "I'm not really sure whether I'm a Christian or not." But what a great definition of a Christian this is! A Christian is someone who has turned from idols to serve the true and living God and is trusting in Jesus to rescue them from the judgment to come. This is vitally important to grasp. A Christian is not just a nice person. A Christian is not just somebody who believes in God. A Christian is not just uh, somebody who attends church. Uh, A Christian is not just someone who has been baptized or who is even a church member. A Christian is someone who has turned away from their sin and they are committed to God and they've placed their trust in Jesus Christ and his promises to save them. I think one big concern that... uh, many pastors rightly have is uh, for those people who are brought up in church. Uh, They maybe go to a Sunday club, perhaps, or some kind of kids' ministry. Uh, They graduate on to some kind of youth group. Uh, They learn to say all of the right things, to give all of the right answers. They maybe even get baptized, but yet they go off to college or university, and um, sadly when they leave, there's actually no real difference in their lives at all um, from everybody else around them. They may still say that they're a Christian in some kind of way, and they may be really uh, lovely people with uh, great jobs, but yet actually there's no real love for Jesus. They rarely attend church or have any kind of fellowship with God's people, and they have no real love in their lives for God and God's word. So rightly, a big concern for lots of pastors, and also for uh, many, many Christian parents uh, who have older children. And right at the heart of it is what we are talking about Here the doctrine of conversion. See, someone can do a lot of the right stuff, they can say a lot of the right things, but yet they've never really understood what Samuel is actually talking about here. That to be a Christian is not just being nice, it's being new. It is a change of heart brought about by the Holy Spirit where we put our idols away and we start to serve the Lord God instead. And if that doesn't describe you or someone you know, then it's possible that you need to do exactly what Israel did here, which is to return to the Lord with all of your heart, to repent, to put your idols away, and to serve the Lord only. And so this is the second thing that the stone at Ebenezer would have reminded the people of their return. But it's also a third thing that it would have reminded the people of as well, um, which is a victory victory. And this is really the most obvious thing about the stone at Ebenezer. It sort of marked the place of the people's victory over the Philistines. Uh, The people have repented, they've returned to God, and God now grants them this victory over their enemies. Um, And so let's return to the story. And I think really the key thing here is that this is basically a rerun of chapter 4, but with a different outcome. Okay, so you remember back in chapter 4, the Philistines attack. The people depend on themselves. They call in the ark, but yet they are defeated. So this is basically a rerun of the same thing, but now with a different outcome. Uh, Based in verse 7, the Philistines attack. Uh, The people are afraid. However, instead of relying on themselves and calling for the ark, this time they call out to God in prayer. And so we read uh, in verse 8, They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then we read in verse 9 that Samuel takes a lamb and he offers it as a sort of whole burnt offering for the sins of the people. And then we read that he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the wonderful words, and the Lord answered him. What we basically have here is Samuel acting as a priest. Uh, He acts as an intercessor or an intermediary between the people and God. Uh, We've already seen that Samuel acts as a prophet, preaching God's word and calling the people to repentance. Now we see that he also acts as a priest, offering a sacrifice for the people and interceding for them in prayer. It's a clear picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our prophet. He's the one who calls us to repentance and speaks God's word to us. And Jesus is our priest, the one who offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins and who always lives to intercede for us and to pray for us. As uh, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 says, therefore Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them not sure how often you think about this but how encouraging it is that Jesus is alive in heaven right now is not immensely encouraging that Jesus is alive right now as we are meeting here and he's constantly able to apply the merits of his death to us so that we can stand before God so that we can have access to him and he is praying for us And then, well, Samuel is offering the sacrifice. The Philistines, well, they charge up the hill. they in verse 10. And the Lord alone brings about a great victory. It seems as if God uses uh, some kind of a great thunderstorm. So uh, verse 10 and 11, but that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Kah. So key thing here is it's a great victory that God himself has brought about. His people have returned to him, they're trusting in him, uh, and he wins a great victory for them, rescuing them from their enemies. And then we read in verse 12, then Samuel took a stone and uh, set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far, the Lord has helped us. Now, when many of us um, think of the name Ebenezer in English, uh, especially around Christmas time, uh, we probably immediately think of the character Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, So Ebenezer Scrooge was a character in one of Charles Dickens' uh, books, um, and he's basically really well known for being really mean and uh, not generous and uh, miserly, uh, especially at Christmas time. In fact, this Christmas time, probably some members of my own uh, family will uh, accuse me of being like Ebenezer Scrooge. But actually, when we're thinking about Ebenezer here, you need to put all the thoughts of Ebenezer Scrooge out of your mind, okay? Because actually here, the name Ebenezer really means the opposite. Uh, It's meaning in Hebrew, is thus far has the Lord helped us. So it's speaking to us of God's love, of God's care, of God's goodness, God's kindness, God's protection uh, over our lives. It's a monument that God's people could look back to and it would strengthen their faith and grow them in their trust and love of him. Um, next weekend and say family we're going to do what many expats do when they leave hong kong and have our pictures taken at uh, a number of different uh, hong kong landmarks i know it's really cliched but yes we are doing it Uh, So you may have seen people maybe taking pictures of themselves at the peak or, you know, uh, on the avenue of the uh, stars or uh, maybe some of their other um, favorite locations. And of course, one reason that people do that is so that uh, when they get to their new country, they can uh, look back at those pictures later on and it will remind them of their time living here. Well, that's a little bit like what's going on here with this stone at Ebenezer. It's a kind of memorial stone, which is to act as a reminder of all the the ways that God has helped us in the past. Now, I don't propose for a moment that uh, we build some kind of a monument this morning. Um, But I do think it's always helpful to look back, isn't it? And to remember how God has been with us and how God has helped us as individuals and as a church family. And God has been with us and helped us as a church in so many practical ways over the years, Uh, continuing to to provide the Conrad for us to use each week, for instance, Uh, providing us with with a church office, um, um, providing us with uh, great staff and ministry leaders and uh, home group leaders and, of course, uh, lots of other ways, too, practically. Of course, we need to remember as well, especially how God has provided for us and helped us spiritually. Um, All of those people who've become Christians, uh, those who've grown as Christians while they've been here and have then been sent out into other areas of service. Um, Even Will, for for instance, who's leading our service this one. He was first here back in 2014 and uh, has now returned as associate pastor. Um, all of those who've been trained through our ministry apprentice program map for instance and of course many many of you who god has really helped you to keep going and really persevere through many difficulties and ups and downs in your life i feel over lots of our lives that we could actually raise some kind of memorial stone and say thus far has the lord helped us and that would be a cause of great thanks and praise to god church how good God has been to us let's thank and praise God for how he has helped us and looking back ought to actually give us a sense of confidence for the future Uh, as the doxology goes that we sometimes sing we'll praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come I also think the sort of uh, personal uh, monuments are quite helpful as well I was uh, reading not that long ago about one Christian family, and when they're at the beach, they basically collect stones. And then they use paint to write a date and a different uh, event on each stone. Uh, And there's some of the different ways that the Lord has helped them. And they put all the stones in a big pile, maybe in a prominent place in their house. And when they look at them, it reminds them of God's help and God's faithfulness to them as a family Has God provided for them in an unexpected way? Will they uh, um, write that on a stone? Uh, Is there a specific answer to prayer? Will they write that on a stone? Has someone they know become a Christian? They write that on a stone. Uh, Is there a special date, maybe a birthday or uh, some kind of family anniversary? And they simply want to say how great it is that God has helped us over this last year. Will they write that on a stone? Is it Easter time, perhaps? And they want to remember God's great victory over, the, over their, their, their enemies when Jesus died on the cross. Uh, they write that on a stone. That's maybe something that you could uh, do as individuals or as a, a family, uh, especially if you've got kids or you have kids uh, later on in your life, uh, maybe and you uh, pick up stones on the uh, beach, as our kids often do. Uh, it's a really good use For those stones, perhaps, to make them into little memorials of uh, how the Lord has helped you. See, if we have our eyes open for evidences of God's love and faithfulness in our lives, then really soon you'd have quite a large pile of stones to be looking at. And that would just be really encouraging and would be something that would really build your faith and trust in God. Thus far has the Lord helped us. And then there's one um, last thing that this stone would have reminded God's people of when they looked at it, um, which is a leader. So I think as future generations of Israelites would have looked at this stone, I think it would have reminded them of Samuel. Um, Someone said to me this last week, they said, I feel I've learned a lot about bad leadership from 1 Samuel, but I'm looking forward to learning something about good leadership. And I think that was probably a fair point. Uh, But Samuel in this chapter is given to us as a good leader. We've already seen how he spoke God's word to the people and uh, called on them to repent and how he prayed for them uh, as well. And of course, both of those are marks of a good Christian leader. The uh, last few verses of our our chapter really look back to Samuel's leadership as a kind of golden age. Uh, They paint this great picture of peace. So verse 13 and 14, So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The tones from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. So really the key thing here is that Samuel brought peace. He brought God's blessing to the people. And Samuel was a great leader. He called the people to repent. He prayed for them. He presumably labored for them during that um, 20-year period when it looked as if there was hardly any response. And it's a reminder for us to give thanks for good leaders in the church. Uh, And God raised up Samuel uh, at exactly the right time for his people. But yet... I wonder if you noticed the one problem with Samuel. So it's there in verse uh, 15. It says, Samuel continued as leader all the days of his life. It's there again in verse uh, 13. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. So I wonder if you've spotted the problem there. You see, the problem is that one day Samuel would die. Like all people, Samuel is subject to death. He's a son of Adam, and so one day Samuel will die. And what would happen to the people of Israel then? And so Samuel is great, but Samuel also shows us the need we have for a new leader, um, a leader who will never die, a leader who will never leave, and a leader who would lead his people forever. And of course, therefore, Samuel points us forward to the leader that we all need, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is a great note for us to end on this morning because it actually shows us who our ultimate leader is. It's really great to give thanks for examples of good leadership in the church when we see see them. And uh, obviously, Andy coming here is really great. But we also need to remember that our ultimate leader is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the leader who has risen from the dead. Uh, he is the leader who will never, ever leave us. Here's the leader who we need to fix our eyes on this morning. He is the one who is building our church, and Jesus will never, ever let us down. We um, started off this morning by thinking about the idea of Ebenezer, meaning thus far has the Lord helped us. And we've seen that for God's Old Testament people, that would have been a prompt to look back and remember a defeat, a return, a victory, and a leader. However, I think there's also a final challenge uh, in these words as well. You see, thus far has the Lord helped us also begs a question for us. And that question is, well, okay, the Lord has helped us this far, but what is going to happen now? And will we keep going with him? So for Old Testament Israel, uh, are they going to continue to live lives of repentance and trusting in in God? Or will they go back to their idols? Will their leaders continue to be upright and godly like Samuel was? uh, Or will their leaders uh, turn away from God? It's also a challenge for us as a church. I think, okay, God has helped us this far. But what is going to happen now? Will we keep going as a church with God? Will we keep listening to his word? Will we keep trusting in the gospel and serving him only? Please pray for me and Rachel and the children as we move to Cambridge in a few weeks. Pray that I might be a leader more like Samuel and more like Jesus. And I will pray for you as well that you will continue to be like the people of Israel in this great passage. Those who turn from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven who will one day come for everyone who knows him on that great and final day. And so, for the last time, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to give thanks for your word to us this morning. We want to give thanks for this opportunity to look back and remember your help and faithfulness to us as a church and to us as individuals We pray that we might be those who would turn from idols to serve you alone and who would keep trusting in your promises of the life to come. Grant us boldness, grant us faith, grant us perseverance, and may you preserve us in your grace until that great day when Jesus comes again. And we ask all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.